It's the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I am your host, Harry Simiu, and joining me once again to look ahead to the second leg of Arsenal's UEFA Europa League round of 16 tie with Olympiagos is the brilliant Costas Llanos. Costa, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you, first of all? Thank you, Harry. I feel great. And what a great introduction this is from Martin Tyler, isn't it? <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's one of my favourites. I've got to keep it. I keep thinking I need to update it, but I like it. I don't want to lose it. <laughs> update it? Well, I mean, next time you could actually pronounce your name properly this time. How about that? Yeah, we could, we, you know, <laughs> living in England with a Greek surname is, is you, you probably know, it's not easy. <laughs> oh, but, well, I had to change my name. I had to change my name when I got here. I, I was going with Kostadinos in Greece. I came to England. I introduced myself to an Englishman. I said, Kostadinos is my name. He's like, I'm never going to remember this. <laughs> and so Kostas was born. There you go. There you go. Just making it nice and easy. <laughs> um, big hello to everybody already joining us in the live chat. I can see there's a few of you in there already. So uh, hello, welcome. Hope you're all good. Uh, big hello, especially to John Daly, who says, I've smashed the like button. I'm listening every day now. Love the show, Harry. Keep it up. Come on, you gooners. Thank you so much, John, uh, for your support. Big hello to Sam, uh, to Wesbird, um, and to Gary the Snail. Quality screen name, that is. Uh, but Big hello to everyone. Hope you're all good. Um, let's get into it. Arsenal, obviously, with a very positive result in the first leg, um, in a position now where you feel probably that Arsenal should cruise through. But given what happened last year, it's impossible to get into that frame of mind now where you're completely 100% confident. But, Gostandinos, first of all, let's get your thoughts on the first leg because... I was actually surprised that Olympiagos were, I don't know if the toothless is the right word, because I, I felt like they could have got at Arsenal more. I feel like they could have been a little bit more aggressive. And I feel like the chances that they did have, and obviously the goal that uh, was scored by Yusuf El Arabi came from Arsenal making mistakes. Were you disappointed from an Olympiagos point of view that they didn't really take the game to Arsenal in that first leg? Because they were a bit cautious, weren't they? They were very cautious, but as we said, the Olympiacos' game plan, initial game plan, was not to concede. And they kept the lines pretty deep, Having watching Olympiacos all season. They never keep the lines that deep. They always push forward. They always like to play possession game. I was quite, I was quite uh, satisfied with the way Olympiacos started. I expected that Arsenal to push and Olympiacos to keep the line deep and forcing them to the wings. I liked that start. Olympiacos basically let themselves down again with um, a series of ridiculous mistakes. There was that uh, opportunity missed by Bruma and Masuras after Saka and David Luiz respectively gave the ball away. Reapchuk lost the ball on the left, and uh, which led to Edegard's beautiful goal. 
Uh, we're going to talk more about the second goal by Gabriel because here in Greece there's a lot of controversy. People in Greece believe that was a foul on Mvila, but I, th I feel like Mvila, player of his experience, could have jumped and got in the way of Gabriel. He didn't see the run. He didn't, he didn't see the run. And when it comes to Elneny, nobody marked him. Beautiful goal. Nobody marked him. Uh, we got there, There's uh, some news uh, from uh, Jose Sa, the goalkeeper. I cannot stress what a good goalkeeper he is. He is a very good goalkeeper. You guys didn't see it, but he's a great goalkeeper. He didn't play well. The good Jose Sa would have destroyed that uh, Martin Edegaard shot. But we got news from his uh, wife that uh, on the same night Olympiacos played Arsenal, uh, the funeral of his grandmother was taking place in Portugal. So he was not all there that night. He's had some bad nights in Europe. I don't know how much they have to do with his grandmother, but it's been tough for him uh, recently. Yeah, I, I read that. Um, I read that. I read her post and I read, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, he had obviously received some criticism as well, hadn't he, uh, from certain supporters for that. Listen, mistakes happen. And when you're a goalkeeper, if you make a mistake, more often than not, it ends up in a goal. So, you know, we've all been there. You know, we've seen Bernd Leno in the last couple of weeks, who's a, a, another very good goalkeeper, give the ball away in very dangerous positions. So mistakes happen. And I guess, um, you know, to a degree, he can he can be forgiven for that. But you mentioned Jan and Via there. Now, he was moved into centre-back, wasn't he? But that wasn't yeah. originally the plan for Olympiagos, was it? Was there an injury in the warm-up? How did that come about? Because we all know he's a defensive midfield player. And I thought he actually looked quite uncomfortable playing at centre-back. He was very uncomfortable. And Olympiacos were missing a major creative force in midfield. I mean, you mentioned how Olympiacos were toothless. It was mainly because they were missing perhaps the most creative player in midfield. But also Pedro Martins made a mistake. He didn't start Costas Fortunis, who is actually the most creative player and Vila is the most creative midfielder. Fortuny is the most creative based on the assist stats. He started Masuras instead of Fortunis. That match needed Fortunis the way it was without Mvila in midfield. Hussein Nuba, we talked about it. He picked up a back injury. Uh, he couldn't make it a few minutes before the game. I, I, got the, I got the news at the last minute. He couldn't make it, but... Pedro Martins confirmed that he will be available for the return leg. The same goes for Marios Vrusai, the forward, who was also uh, bagged an injury. But uh, there's going to be no Ahmed Hassan, who is a major impact player for Olympiacos coming off the bench. And also the experienced and impressive uh, Mathieu Valbuena. They're also injured. So lots, lots of injury problems. Um, you talked a little bit about I forgot where I was going with this now. Jan and Villa, we, yeah. we talked about him moving into centre-back. Um, you mentioned that in Greece, they felt that it was a foul on Jan and Villa. I, I, I get it. But from my perspective, Gabriel just gets up early. And when you get up early, unchallenged, you know, there will be some force on your way down that prevents that defender essentially getting up off the ground. What was the, the, the kind of reaction in Greece? You mentioned people were unhappy about it. Are they... You know, is it a debate? Is it 50-50? Is everybody adamant it's a foul? How badly was did that incident go down? Well, a lot of people consider this to be a foul. Pedro Martin said after the game that he does honestly consider this to be a foul. But I was glad to hear him say that they're leaving this behind them. Uh, they're not going to think about this anymore. And they're only going to concentrate on the return leg. Actually, I spoke with a good friend of mine who used to be a referee uh, credit in 
with FA credentials, and he said the following about this, um, this incident, if I may quote. He said, I actually found the angles. I've seen of it really hard to judge whether it was a foul or not. If his elbow or arm has gone up and hit the defender's head, it should be a foul, really. I actually can't tell from the TV angles I saw whether that was the case. If they've just collided shoulder to head, then I'd give a goal. Just like you can make contact with someone with your foot when making a fair challenge on the floor. There certainly wasn't any excessive force. If the arm does go up and hit his head, then it should be a free kick. But I don't see any need for a card. So that's the official source, the official reaction I got view. from it. Yeah. yeah, the official view. You know what? It happened. Personally, I feel like this that was the critical goal because uh, after that, Olympiacos let themselves grow frustrated. Uh, and that's why they let El Neni with all that space to produce this shot. And we've seen El Neni score a lot of goals like this in the past. He has a great shot for all of his flaws. I feel like that was a critical goal. Uh, I, I, I don't, I mean, it, I know uh, there's a lot of referees in my opinion that would have given a foul. I think there's more referees that wouldn't give a foul. It yeah. happened. It was a beautiful header. It was a towering header. Nevertheless, it is what it is. Olympiacos let themselves down after this. And now, second leg. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I get. I guess if it was against Arsenal, I'd probably be asking for the foul as well, or mm. at least suggesting that it could have been a foul. I just, for me, maybe it's because, and I know that you watch a lot of Premier League football, but maybe it's because of the difference in in footballing culture. I think it's fair to say that in the Premier League you're able to push the boundaries of physicality a lot more than you probably are in some of the European leagues. And I wonder if, um, you know, if that's uh, that's caused this kind of disagreement as to whether it was a foul or not. But, um, you know, I, I personally think it was a goal. Um, mm. I think it was a wonderful leap from Gabriel. And I think he does exactly the right thing with the header to guide it back towards that far post to make it really difficult for Jose Sarr uh, to get across to it. There's been some controversy, though, in the Arsenal camp in the lead up to this second leg. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, of course, that was dropped from the North London derby team uh, at the weekend. It was a it was a story that that broke just before the game. Mikel Arteta uh, came out and and told the Sky Sports cameras that he uh, he had left him out of the team. He was initially supposed to be in it, but due to disciplinary reasons, he had been dropped. I wondered at the time whether Mikel Arteta was right to do that, whether he was right to come out and say it. Because with all these games at the moment, had it been a simple case of rotation, I don't think anybody would have really been surprised. The problem is, is that I think the media knew about it and the press knew about it and they were going to break it. And so he felt the need uh, to come out and say it. After that, that happened... Arsenal go on, win the North London derby. It's a fantastic result. Anybody like me who lives in North London um, or supports Arsenal from anywhere in the world, I guess, understands how important the derby is, what it means to us. And so the game's won. It should be all pushed to one side. And then the next morning we hear that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang got in his car after the game finished, didn't take part in the warm down with all the rest of the unused substitutes and drove off. So... We're reading reports today that he's expected to come back into the side for the game against Olympiagos. We we think that's going to be the case. I just, I mean, from your perspective, Costa, looking from the outside, if you were an Arsenal fan, how frustrated would you be with Aubameyang? You know, you're late. That, that, you've made a mistake. Just hold your hands up. 
don't go off in a strop. Yeah, to me, discipline is everything when it comes to football club. Uh, when you're in a football club as big as Arsenal, you're, the representation you're, uh, you're putting out there, the things you're representing are so great. You're representing a great, uh, a great city. You're representing a great fan base. You represent a great history. You're representing such a, 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 heavy, a heavy jersey. You need to take this serious, and this is not the first time the, that Obama Young has, has gotten into hot water with Arsenal. But I gotta say, how much I respect Miguel Arteta, not only as a, as a coach, but also as a person. He goes into the North London Derby against Arsenal's biggest opponents in the world. He benches his best player and captain because he pushed his buttons, and he went on to win the North London Derby. He sh and he Miguel Arteta showed everyone, and especially his best player and captain, who's boss at the Emirates. There's no yeah, one else. Exactly. Miguel Arteta, he showed who's boss. I cannot tell you how much I respect him. And I cannot, and to be honest, I, I liked what he said after the game because he praised Pierre Miroko Bamiyang. said he didn't hide behind his finger. He said there was an issue. But you know what? We move on. He's a great player. He sang his praises. And when, when it comes to Olympiacos, I actually wanted to uh, pick your brains and uh, ask you how is Miguel Arteta approaching this game right now? Like, does he want to end this quickly, start his best players and end this quickly? Or is he comfortable and does he want to rest them and start some other players that have been in the fringes the last few weeks? It's, it's a really difficult question to answer because at times this season, we've seen Mikel Arteta rotate and at times we've seen him be quite consistent in his selection. I think there are a number of players that in the last few weeks have, have nailed down their positions in the side. And some of those are, you know, Bern Leno is clearly the number one goalkeeper. David Luiz plays pretty much every time he's available. Granit Xhaka, the same. Thomas Partey, the same. Um, Martin Odegaard at the moment is playing every time he's available as well. But then around that, he's Mikel Arteta's got options. And that's what, in my opinion, has seen Arsenal improve lately. It's that we do have options and competition within the group. I mean, you look at the North London derby, Cedric came in at right back ahead of Bay, uh, instead of um, Bayerin and did a really good job. Um, you know, on the left side, we don't really have competition. Kieran Tierney is, is the only recognised left back in the squad. But then you look at the centre-back positions and partnering David Luiz, it could be Rob Holding, it could be Gabriel, it could be Pablo Marie, and nobody would be disappointed with any of those guys playing. You look further forward and it could be Bakayo Saka on the wing, it could be Nicola Pepe, it could be Willian, who's even playing far better now. Does Aubameyang play up front? Does Lacazette play up front? So I think one of the the most interesting things about how this Arsenal side has developed is that finally Mikel Arteta has got all of these guys performing at a reasonable level and now there is competition and that competition, you know, obviously turns into, into positive performances. People desperate to try and keep themselves in the side. I think he will make some changes. I really do. To the do. starting lineup. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I, I think he will make some changes and, I, and I'll tell you why, because We've picked up some positive results in the Premier League lately. I know a lot of people were, were upset about the draw at Burnley, but we've beaten Leicester and we've beaten Tottenham either side of that. So if you had said to an Arsenal fan at the start of those three games, you're going to get seven points, I think everybody would have been delighted. Everybody mm. would have taken it. The problem is, is that the two points that were dropped, it, had they been dropped at Leicester, had they been dropped against Spurs, there would be less 
reaction. But because they were dropped against Burnley, that's been the issue. And that's why people have, have lost a bit of faith. But Mikel Arteta will look at that Premier League table now, in my opinion, and he will think that Arsenal can qualify for Europe via the Premier League. And he needs to have as many options and alternatives and ways of qualifying as possible. I'm not saying Arsenal will qualify for the Champions League. The top four still seems a long way away. But at the weekend, we take on West Ham United, um, who are in fifth position at the moment. And he will see that as a really big game. I'm not saying that he would disrespect Olympiagos because he would have learned his lesson from last season. But what I think is he will look at the advantage, the three away goals, and the fact that Olympiagos have to come to the Emirates Stadium and score three and probably feel like he can get away with bringing a Pepe in, bringing a Willian in maybe, putting Aubameyang back into the side up front because obviously he didn't play at the weekend. So I do think there will be some changes. I'm not, I don't think he will go, uh, this. we've done this, I can pick my, my reserves, but I do think he will uh, make some changes. From an Olympiagos perspective though, how, you know, what's the mood like? Is there a confidence that, you know, if they come and they score early, they can get themselves back into this tie or does it feel like, They've kind of dropped their heads. I know they won't say it publicly, but what's the mood like in Athens? Oh, they uh, they haven't given up. Definitely haven't given up. Uh, Pedro Martin said it best, I think. Uh, he said there's a lot of faith in uh, qualifying. They understand, obviously, that this is extremely hard. He basically gave away a bit of the tactic, and that is that Olympiacos are going to go for an early goal. And when he says early goal, he means a first-half goal. So I expect, you know, we talked about Olympiacos and how they need to keep the uh, the lines deep against Arsenal. You specifically said Pedro Martins would be stupid if he went gung-ho at yeah. Arsenal. But this is different now. So here's what I think. I feel like Olympiacos are going to keep the lines just a little higher, not too high, just a little higher. Because Arsenal, in my opinion, the defense is going to make a mistake, at least one. There's going to be a mistake. Yeah. And if you press them in the right manner, there's got, they're going to give the ball away. So they're going to push for that mistake as much as they can. But just just enough, because even if Arsenal do score a goal, Olympiacos are still only after three. Uh, only they're only they're after three goals. They're not regardless. Go yeah, yeah. Regardless, if they score the three goals this time, it's it's extra time. But I think you hit the nail right in the head there when you said that um, Arteta must have learned from last season. And plus, he knows that Olympiacos have won their last two visits at the Emirates. So I predict that Arsenal are going to put together a strong lineup, a strong front four. Let's say Aubameyang, Saka, Edegaard, and either Pepe or William. And William played well in the Karaiskaiki Stadium. He's going to go for the jugular and hope that he's going to bring the game into a point where Olympiacos just can't score three goals. And then just start bringing players uh, on the bench. I'll tell you what, Olympiacos are approaching this game knowing that they are the, the ultimate underdogs. But I liked what Martin said, and that is that this is not our biggest challenge ever. We, I've been at Olympiacos for three years. There's been a lot of difficult periods at Olympiacos. This is not the toughest. They're Arsenal. They're not the big bad wolf. But basically what they're going to do, what Arsenal fans should expect is that, yes, chances are totally on their side on going through, but Olympiacos are going to give them a, a rough night. They, uh, Martin specifically said as well, 
if we don't go through, we're going to fight for the victory or a result. So it's going to be a rough night for – they're going to try and put together a really rough night for Arsenal, which is something to keep an eye on ahead of uh, West Ham. Yeah, I, and I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that they will come to the Emirates Stadium and be be up for it, be determined to, even if they don't progress, to get a result on the night, um, you know, and, and, and really give it their all. I I do – I mean, I look at Olympiagos and I, I look around the team and I, and I do think that they've got talent. I do think that they've got technical ability – I do think they've got some physical players as well. Um, mm. You know, I mean, you look at Yusuf El Arabi, for example. He's a, you know, he's a he's a battering ram up front. He gets in people's faces. Uh, he, you saw the way that Olympiagos pressed Danny Sabios to get their goal. Um, so I don't doubt that they're going to give us a really difficult night. I guess Mikel Arteta has to. It's a hard situation to be in as the Arsenal manager here because. You don't want to say that the tie is done. You don't want to say that you're through. But you have to look at the wider picture. And the wider picture is that the the, the doors to qualifying for Europe in the Premier League, I feel, with the last few results, I'm not going to say are wide open, but they're just slightly open. And he will feel that he needs to try and take advantage of that. You know, if you cast your mind back to when Unai Emery was in charge of Arsenal, we got to the late point in the season and Unai Emery made a decision he made a decision to to focus on the Europa League, to prioritise that. He disrespected a couple of Premier League teams. He disrespected Crystal Palace before a Europa League tie. He left out uh, four or five of our first team players. We ended up getting beaten at the Emirates Stadium. he done the same thing in a, a later stage against Brighton, where he left players out and we got held to a draw at the Emirates Stadium. And ultimately that season, Arsenal missed out on, on the top four by a single point and then went on to lose the Europa League final. So I think, you know, if I were Mikel Arteta, and I'm not inside his head, and I don't know exactly what he's thinking or what he's planning to do, but if I were him, I'd be looking at that and saying that was the classic case of a manager putting all of his eggs in one basket and it blowing up in his face. And and this this tie, whilst it's not completely done and dusted, I know some people in the chat are saying that he is done and it should be a formality. I don't see it like that. I just... You know, you look at European football, and and I don't know if you uh, agree with this, Costandinos, but you know, I watched the Champions League last night, and I'm going to watch the Champions League tonight. And I've not enjoyed the Premier League this season because it's there's not been any fans. I think the standard of football has been lower than it normally is. But the Champions League and the European competitions are still keeping me interested because there is that possibility of these big comebacks. There is good football on show. There are top quality teams. You know, with all due respect, you're not watching West Brom. You're not watching, uh, you know, Sheffield United. You're watching top European sides. So whilst I think he'll he'll be mindful of, of putting his eggs in one basket, you know, it, it, for me, he's he's got to think about the bigger picture rather. But it's a difficult balance to find, isn't it? Well, I, I actually want to ask you... Try and help me with the mentality at Arsenal right now, because last time we spoke about this, I feel like we went away thinking that the Europa League is the only way to go back to Europe uh, uh, for next season. But now Arsenal are five points away from the set from seventh place, which usually leads to uh, the Europa League uh, next season. So, what is what's the plan here? Because there is some way until the Europa League trophy, even even if slash when Arsenal make it through the quarterfinals, there's still. There's still a lot of work to be done. So if they, so do Arsenal want to win? Are, are they thinking we're going to win the Europa League and that's final? 
Or are they saying, we're going to do our best in the Europa League and we're going to fight for this, for seventh or sixth or fifth place? So what, what is the mentality? What's the plan? I think that the mentality will be fluid in that it will it will shift. It will keep changing. And I think mm-hmm. if you'd asked me before the Leicester game and I looked at that run of fixtures and I saw Leicester, Burnley, you know, put that to one side for a minute, but I looked at it and I saw Leicester and then a Burnley game and then Spurs and then West Ham United who were all above us in the table. Mm. I think most of us would have gone, it's not very likely. It's not very likely. But with each passing week, you you, you continue to be reminded that the Premier League is very unpredictable. There are some very, um, there, there have been some shock results. I mean, who thought that Burnley were going to go and win at Everton last weekend the way they did? Um I guess from my perspective, and it's a little bit confusing this year, right? Because we've got the Europa League places, but we've also got the Europa Conference starting next season. And I was reading something on that last night. And it's interesting because you could actually finish six in the Premier League. And depending on who wins the Carabao Cup and who wins the FA Cup, you could still end up in the Europa Conference finishing in sixth. So... There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different scenarios that could play out here, but in answer to your original question, I just feel like right now, whilst there is a possibility of doing it either way, we need to to chase both of those, and we need to chase mm-hmm. both of those because forget the the fact that Arsenal wouldn't be playing in Europe next season if we were to fail on both both fronts. It's the finance, Costandinos, that Arsenal need. It's the finance from playing in Europe that they are desperately in need of. And you can you can talk about the, the fact that it might be helpful maybe not having to play games on Thursday nights and having a week between each of your Premier League fixtures. But the problem here is that if Arsenal wish to continue this rebuild under Mikel Arteta and continue to, you know, to, to move players out, bring new players in and, and develop and build this squad, they need the money. And, and taking yeah. into account no Europe, all the fact that we've been working on a Champions League budget for years without being in the Champions League and now the pandemic, I think that Arsenal are just in desperate need for this money. And I think it would be foolish to write off either route. Um, if it were me, I'd be fighting on both fronts. I think we've got the squad to do that now. And I don't think we necessarily had that a few months ago, not in terms of the the, the actual players being at the club, but in terms of players performing to a level where Mikel could rotate and be confident in doing that. That's very interesting. That is indeed very interesting. And I do want to, I do like to see Arsenal in Europe. I mean, in my opinion, I, I, I think I've told you, but uh, when it comes to the uh, Premier League teams, my favourite has always been Arsenal. And I would love to see them in the Champions League uh, real soon. They are a team that belong, they're a team and they are a club that belongs in Europe. Uh, now, will they continue in the quarterfinals? As I said, um, I give Olympiacos very, very low chances of going through. If they actually do it, that's going to be a greater result than last year's. And we're going to be talking at perhaps the greatest comeback of a Greek club, club, not team, greatest comeback of a Greek club in Europe. Uh, Now, I give them low chances as long as they score in the first half. Yeah. Because if they don't score in the first half, I'm giving them a 0%. Of going through after that because Arsenal haven't conceded three goals in one half since December when they played Manchester City at the Carabao Cup and lost 4-1. That's the last time they conceded three goals in one half. So the first half goal is essential if Olympiacos will have any hopes of going through. And, and, and that's key what you've just said because that highlights one of the 
improvements or what I feel has probably been the main improvement throughout Mikel Arteta's tenure, even when we weren't necessarily winning games and we weren't playing the the the, the pleasing on the eye football that people wanted to see. Nobody could ever deny that Arsenal have become a more stubborn outfit under Mikel Arteta. And if you can somehow, you know, if you can put those mistakes to one side, then, and you can cut those out, then we're in a really good place. And I guess Mikel Arteta said this before as well. You know, the, the good thing about the mistakes being your own is that you can fix them. You can't mm. fix what somebody else is doing, you know, just like that, but you can with concentration uh, with working hard, I guess, put your um, put your mistakes to one side. Let's say a big hello to everybody watching us in the chat right now, because across the multiple platforms, there are over 200 of you watching us right now. And I know there'll be more watching this on replay, more listening to this uh, on the podcast format as well. So uh, thank you to every single one of you. Make sure if you haven't already, you smash the like button. If you're watching us on YouTube in particular, subscribe to the channel if you're new. And of course, check out our membership scheme. You can do so by clicking on the link in the description uh, and checking out the tiers available and deciding which, if any of those, uh, appeal to you. Also, if you've got any questions for us, chuck them in the live chat and we will come to as many of those as we possibly can between now and the end of the stream. If you're going to put a question in, just do me a favor and put a little cue at the beginning of it because there are lots and lots of comments coming through and I don't want to miss them. Um, I'd, I'd like to find them. Uh, let's uh, let's read out some of the uh, the uh, comments at the moment. Um, Moss fifty two on the discussion around whether the tie is done. He says it's not done yet. We need to take care of business, and he goes on to say that we need to fight on both fronts. Uh, so try and qualify for the Europa via um, the Premier League, and of course, uh, if we can sneak into the Champions League from winning the Europa, happy days. Uh, because that is where ultimately Arsenal need to be in the Champions League. Um, Michael S says that winning is the only mentality. And he says you end up where you are focused only on the next game and winning it. That's it. Exactly. Um, some more comments, uh, Costa, saying that you look like Cesc Fabregas again. Um, there were so many you have, of those. You have, the best, you have the best viewers in the world. <laughs> you have the best viewers in the world. Never let anybody <laughs> make you feel anything different. They are the best. Be proud was, of them. There were so many comments after the show we did last time ahead <laughs> of the first leg. It was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Um, but I got to say, uh, if um, I may, about um, the Tottenham game, uh, it is unfortunate that Olympiakos cannot take a lot of lessons from that Tottenham side who were very uncharacteristically uh, toothless and lethargic. Even though Mourinho started a strong attack with the Son, Lucas Moura, Gareth Bale, Harry Kane... Obviously, he was unlucky to lose Son to an injury. But uh, the, only, the only lesson Olbiakos have to learn from this game is that the big characters need to come through. Mourinho kind of threw a few or maybe one of them under the bus. I think we all know who, the, who we're talking about, saying that they were hiding. Yeah. So the big lesson for Olbiakos in this is that the big characters like El Arabi and Villa, Fortunis, Papastathopoulos, and especially Sa, they need to come through in this. They need to set the example. That is the big lesson from this, in my opinion, from the North London Dart. What do you think? What do you think is the big lesson to come through from Tottenham, the way they played and lost? If, if So put my, myself in, in your shoes. If I was looking at it from an Olympiagos um, viewpoint, I'd be a lot more aggressive um, than, than mm. Tottenham were. I'd be... I wouldn't be so passive. I'd be confident in in my own team's ability to cause Arsenal problems because, you know, I've just talked about Arsenal 
being better defensively than than they have been in years gone by. But that's not really saying much. You know, Arsenal mm. in years gone by have been a real soft touch defensively. So if I was looking at it, I'd look at the fact that Mourinho picked those players, probably went into the game in, in stronger form, um, yet was so fearful of an Arsenal side that he didn't really need to be that fearful of. And, you know, you look at that first half in particular, and they had one one attempt at goal and they scored one mm. goal from it. And that was a goal that, you know, it was a special goal as much as it, it pained me. You know, you can't take that away from Eric Lamella. But I just feel like if I was Olympiagos, I'd be, I'd be more aggressive. I'd go out there with a belief. Mourinho, for me, one of the things that makes him not in the top, tier of manager anymore in my opinion I'm not saying he wasn't you know he was he's one of the all-time greats but why I don't think he's quite at that level anymore is because he's not willing to ever go toe-to-toe with people he doesn't it it strikes me that he doesn't believe in his own in his team's own ability anymore to go out and try and take the game to people and I actually think that when you have that attitude and mentality as a manager I think it rubs off on your players you know, if you're Gareth Bale, Harry Kane, Lucas Moura, Son, as you mentioned, and you're all sitting there having a team talk from Jose Mourinho and he's telling you, guys, let's be cautious. You know, let's not uh, leave any spaces in behind. Let's not take risks. You're probably thinking, well, is he saying this because we're not good enough? You know, I think it has a, an impact. I think it has a negative impact. So if I was looking at this from an Olympiago's point of view, I'd look at the nature of the goals Arsenal have been conceding lately, mm-hmm. pressed into errors. I'd look at the goal against uh, Olympiagos, the, the goal that Olympiagos scored in, in the Garaiskagi Stadium. You know, you put some pressure on Arsenal's defensive midfielder uh, when he comes to receive the ball and you will have some joy from it because you know Bern Leno is going to keep playing those passes. You know, mm. whether it's Ceballos, Xhaka, Partey, whoever it is, you know they're going to keep dropping deep because it's been made very clear that that is the way Arsenal intend to play. And I don't think that they'll change that. I think they know there's a risk associated with it, but they feel like the benefits are bigger than the risk. And so I think that if I was Olympiagos, I'd be very aggressive, like you said. Not not necessarily in the first five, ten minutes. And I think you, you made a really interesting point when you said Pedro Martinez's idea of an early goal is is a first half goal. And yeah. I think that I, I think that's the right way to be because if you go crazy in the first 10-15 minutes and Arsenal go down the other end and score a goal. I know Olympiagos still need three but you you, you make the task bigger for yourself uh, because three ultimately puts Olympiagos through. If Arsenal yeah. score, three only takes it to extra time. So um, yeah, I think, I guess that's how I'd look at it. It is it is, um, it is a very difficult game for Olympiagos. It's the biggest game of the season but I like the mentality that's going on. Uh, Olympiacos have basically won the league. Uh, the Greek Cup can wait. It's in April or something like that. Uh, I think I've, I'm very much looking forward to this game. Olympiacos, it's funny because they are, there is this ambition to one day uh, do something extra in the Europa League. They want to win the Europa League one day. That's, that's, that, that, that's being a little too optimistic in my opinion. But I really, I really hope we don't, we don't see the classic Greek mentality in those kind of conditions saying, you know what, we're happy we're, we're happy we made it this far. You know, we're going to have a good time. No, push yourselves. Yeah. If that's indeed the mentality you're building of one day winning the Europa League, well, those kind of things are part of the schedule. There's many teams that had to win the uh, a European title this way, having to come from behind, like Liverpool, like uh, Liverpool twice, actually, have to, yeah. had to do this. 
it's going to be interesting. I got another question for you that I've been thinking uh, these Go past ahead. few days. You know how Liverpool will never stop talking about that game against Olympiacos that led to the 2005 Champions League. <laughs> yep. So Arsenal started a little. Well, they didn't start bad because they won. They won the uh, con the the, um, the community shield, but then it started falling uh, falling out. If Arsenal exercise that demon called Olympiacos right uh, tomorrow and go on to win the Europa League. Will Arsenal be talking about Olympiacos the same way Liverpool are going to be talking about them? What do you? How do you feel? Um, partly, I think yes, but I think the real turning point in our season, if we're looking at it, I think if we do go on to have a successful season, and by that I mean win the Europa League, get back into the Champions League, I think the turning point in our season for many will be the Benfica game, and not yeah. because. Not because Benfica were were demons for us like Olympiagos have been, but because we were in a position where we were about to go out and we scored twice in, in the late stages to get through. So I think that will probably be seen as the major turning point. But certainly the, the idea of getting past the side who messed us up last season, who came to the Emirates Stadium where nobody... I'll be honest with you. I went to the, the first leg in the Garay Skaggis last, last season and I came back after a 1-0 away win very confident that Arsenal were going to go through. Well, so, you weren't the only one. I told you. Like, yeah. I, I myself got burned. <laughs> and and so, you know, I think that this will be seen as a major step again. Uh, but I still think that the Benfica game will probably be the one that everybody looks back at and goes, this was when our season uh, was defined by the late goals, by the fact that we dragged ourselves uh, through that tie. Um, just going over to the live chat. Big hello to uh, Damien Kelly. Uh, big hello to Jamie and everybody else in the live chat as well. We've got some questions, so um, I'll fire these over. Um, cool. Let's see what we've got. Uh, this is one from Ricky who says, what does Costas feel would be the starting 11 for Olympiagos? That's a great question, Ricky. Uh, so let's let's give it a go. So it's going to be a 4-3-3 as always. Sign goal. Kenny Lala Ole Kreabchuk on the right and uh, left uh, at right and left back respectively. Socrates Papastathopoulos at centre-back with Ba. I'm very confident that Ba is over his injury and Pedro Martin said that he is available. Midfield, Pujalak is the captain. Camara and Mvila. Up front, uh, El Arabi for sure. And then it's about the wings who's going to start there. I think it's going to be Bruma and Fortunis this time. This game really needs Fortunis. Uh, Martins needs to start all of his good players, but... I'm starting to think that there is a lack of impact players now. Masuras would be a very good impact player, but uh, they are going to be missing Hassan because Hassan can be quite a difference maker coming from the bench. Yeah. And as well, Valbuena, who's not going to play either. Cool. Interesting. Um, Charles says, uh, I guess I'll take this one. He says, does the average age of Arsenal squad worry you in regards to mentality and decision-making? I think that there are there's a nice blend in the Arsenal squad now of young emerging talent, but also experienced and, and more natural leaders. And I know, listen, I'm going to get criticism for saying this because when I point out who I feel the natural leaders are, there will be people that disagree and people that don't like these players, people that think that these players shouldn't even be at the club. But the ones that come to mind are, are David Luiz, are Granite Xhaka, are Kieran Tierney, you know, even Hector Bayerin has a massive pull inside the squad. You know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, I know what's happened with him 
uh, over the last few days hasn't been ideal. But what Aubameyang does is normally anyway is lead by example, at least in terms of um, of you know his outputs. Alexander Lacazette is another player who is very popular in the dressing room and sets the tone uh, with his work rate up front. So I think that the average age is not really an issue because we have experience in and around it. I think if you're talking about a team of all 20, 21-year-olds, then you're, you're talking about something different. But in David Lewis at centre-back, for just to pick out one example, you've got a very experienced player who's very willing to help the youngsters, who's very uh, good around the changing room, and who is very, very decorated as a footballer. David Lewis, make no mistake about it, has played in far bigger games than Europa League uh, last 16 ties, with all due respect. So I don't think that Arsenal have an issue in that sense. Um, and I think actually what's been helpful to Mikel Arteta lately is that with David Luiz and Granit Xhaka especially being able to find a bit more consistency in terms of their level of performance. I know Xhaka made the mistake against Burnley, but in terms of his overall displays over the last three or four months, there's been a real upturn. And I think the fact that those guys have been able to find consistency has helped Mikel Arteta in the sense of now that they've got a bit of credit in the bank you know the youngsters are looking at them and going yeah these guys are playing well as opposed to before when they were so up and down I think Mikel Arteta who isn't very experienced as a manager and you could argue is less experienced as a player than David Luiz then having someone like that allows him to lean on those players and I think actually you've got a nice blend of 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 experience of youth of um, enthusiasm and you've also uh, you know you've got a boldness that Mikel Arteta has a bravery. You know, you talked about it, Costa, the, the, the idea of dropping Aubameyang, your captain. We're talking about it now as a good move because Arsenal won the game. But it took a lot of balls to do something like that because had it had Arsenal not won the game, you can imagine what the rhetoric would have been. You know, everybody would have been on his case. It is, um, it is the mentality, really. I also want to ask you about the way youth is being uh, brought into uh, Arsenal right now. Uh, rem- we all remember when Ramsey, Gibbs, Oxlade-Chamberlain, uh, Jenkinson, who am I missing? Walcott came yep. through the academy. Not the academy, sorry. They came through uh, as youngsters. Not all of them through the, uh, through the academy. But it didn't really work out, did it, at the end? No, it didn't. And I think that, um, you know, I think with youngsters, it's, it's, I mean, you, we talk about the ones that are working now. You talk about Bukayo Saka. Brilliant. Mm. You talk about Emil Smith-Rowe, yep. another one. Excellent. Exactly. But then you talk about Reese Nelson and you talk about Joe Willock and their players, Eddie and Ketia, players, in my opinion, who don't really, uh, I don't really think will make it. So I think with a youngster, I think that you've got, you know, you're going to have some that come through and, you know, they're going to be great and you're going to know straight away that they're potential future players. But then you get others that I think you can tell quite quickly whether they're going to be uh, part of the future. And I think what maybe Arsene Wenger was probably guilty of with a lot of those names that you just mentioned is that he was he was too loyal to them when actually it was quite clear early on in their careers that they were decent footballers and they were very capable of going on and having Premier League careers, but they were not at the level that Arsenal needed. I mean, to think that Arsenal got £35 million for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who is constantly unfit, um, even when he's played for Liverpool, he's not exactly, you know, you, you wouldn't look at that Liverpool side and say, oh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain is the player you've got to worry about today. They've got so much more talent. I think that, you know, that was a prime example of us selling at the right time 
But I think there've been others where we've kept them too long and then we've been in a position where they're worthless and their confidence is down and they've been battered by the supporters because they've not performed. And and, and I just think you've got to know, you've got to be able to identify those players pretty quickly. And with those guys that you've mentioned, I think it took too long um, for the club to to establish that they weren't the future. Yeah, and but then, tell, me, tell me about the, uh, the mentoring they got. You mentioned the mentoring from David Luiz and Saka and Lacazette and Aubameyang. I mean, Gary Neville, uh, he always blasts the claims that say, oh, look at how Man United became this global giant with all those young players. Well, if it wasn't for Gary Pallister, if it wasn't for Bruce, if it wasn't for Cantona, if it wasn't for uh, for Paul Ince, that would have never happened. If it wasn't for Roy Keane, that would have never happened because they got so much mentoring. David Beckham, the, the Nevilles, Butt, uh, Giggs, Skulls. That's what did it for them. They got into a point where there were so many personalities that helped them develop and become legends themselves and mentors themselves. So was there any mentoring for those young players though around at that time? You could argue that there wasn't enough of it. Um, you could certainly make that case and you could certainly make that argument. Uh, I just, uh, I mean, when you look at Arsene Wenger and, and, and the reason I keep bringing up Wenger is because those players that you mentioned that, you know, they came through under Arsene Wenger's watch is that, there were so many instances where he did pluck out young players and he did he did it so well. And those players went on to became, become, in some cases, world superstars. I think it's harsh to say that he wasn't a good mentor anymore at that point. I think that you, your point about Manchester United is spot on. And I think that you do need characters in the dressing room around you. And I think that at Arsenal in those years, there weren't the characters there. But I'm, you know... And that you, you could, I guess you could take that back to the manager and say he didn't have the right people in and around the club. But I guess when it comes to to the nurturing of young talent, I don't think there's many better in the business than Arsene Wenger. And yeah. um, he had a lot of faults. He did, particularly to the, towards the end of his Arsenal career. But I just, I look at those players and I think that if you don't succeed under Arsene Wenger, somebody who is going to trust you implicitly, trust you far more than any other top man. You know, imagine working under Jose Mourinho and you come in as an 18-year-old and you make a mistake. You probably never play again. Mm. But under Arsene Wenger, there was always that trust. And I actually feel one of the things that let him down was that he did trust these guys too often and it ended up blowing up in his face on, on numerous occasions. So I think it's a good point. I think that they probably didn't have the strength of the dressing room around them like some of the previous examples. But I, I couldn't, put my hand on my heart and, and feel okay about saying Wenger didn't mentor them because we'd seen him do it with others, I guess. Yeah, um, true. couple more questions. Let's, let's pick out a few more questions because there's, um, there's some coming through. Uh, Banos says, uh, what happened to Semedo? Still not mm. available, right? Mm. Um, and he's going to be out. He's going to be out for a while from what I know. Is that right? A month, a month. Yeah. He was, uh, he picked it up like two weeks ago. So maybe a couple of more weeks. He's not playing now. The same for Abraham Papadopoulos. Olympiakos basically only have Papastathopoulos and, uh, and Villa as their only, and, uh, excuse me, and, um, Ba as their only, uh, center backs. Cool. Um, I know I've missed some of the questions because they're updating constantly. So I do apologize. And if I do miss any of them, make sure you put them in the chat after in the comment section below and I'll, I'll make sure that I answer. Um, I saw one here from JB and we, we really should mention this because I tweeted about it yesterday. Uh, but Costandinos Mavrobanos has been called up to the Greek national team. What's the feeling on him in Greece at the moment? Because he's on loan at Stuttgart at the moment and we understand he's doing okay. Um, 
but he's obviously done enough to to earn himself a call up to the uh, to the Greek national team. What what are your thoughts on him? If if feel, if you've seen much of him, well, I feel like he's a very talented player. We're very excited to see how, what he can do and how he can evolve. Uh, in Greece, we do get to we get we do tend to be a little more a, a wee bit overexcited when a young talent goes through and. Uh, we have seen quite a few of them going nowhere, like Sotiris Ninis and Yanis Fetfadzidis. But we have seen a lot of them doing great things, like Papastathopoulos, like Manolas, uh, Yanakopoulos, uh, Karagounis. Uh, obviously, I'm going way back now with uh, in the 90s. Yanakopoulos, uh, he was known here in the UK as Stelios. And Arsenal fans that remember our rivalry with Bolton in particular will uh, we'll have some terrible memories of him terrorising us for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, he was uh, he was known as in Greece. He's known as the executioner of Arsenal. We like <laughs> that term executioner a lot here. Uh, yes, Mavropanos is a very talented player. He got called up. Uh, he deserved it. Uh, there's an issue with the Greek national team now with Papastathopoulos and uh, Manolas because they were dropped uh, following the um, the hiring of the new manager John Van Schiep. Uh, now they're claiming that uh, they did offer. Uh, a place to both of those players for the upcoming uh, World Cup qualifiers. They claim they said no. So it's quite a fluid situation right now. Um, it seems like there is a way back for them. Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. Papastatopoulos is at the winter of his career. Manolas has some good years ahead of him. Uh, so that's why Mavropanos and so many other centre-backs got finally got a call-up and a chance. That's one of the reasons. And I'm very excited to see what he can do. Definitely can do a lot. And I hope to see him with... Uh, Arsenal tearing it uh, for the next few years. Yeah, good stuff. And uh, yeah, that, that situation with uh, with Sogradis obviously happened while he was at Arsenal, didn't it? Where he was, um, I, I'm not exactly sure of the ins and outs of it, but I know there was some kind of disagreement behind the scenes that yeah. that led to him and uh, Manolas. And to me, you know, as somebody who obviously wants the Greek national team to do well, I, I just, I, I find it strange that any manager would, would close the door on on two of Greece's probably best out uh, exports over the last yeah. twenty odd years. It just doesn't make sense to me. But obviously, something's gone on there, and and as you say, it's a it's a difficult and fluid situation. Exactly. Um, this one comes from Sam. He says, "Harry, do you think Aubameyang will leave on time tomorrow? Bloody <laughs> hope so. Bloody hope so." But I, I can tell you what, whoever it was, um, whoever it was that took that picture of his car in Muswell Hill drive into the game is <laughs> what an absolute legend i hope they haven't got themselves in trouble with work for that but yeah fantastic um let's pick out one or two um more questions before we go um pat moyles says did arteta's decision on oba put the wind up the players on sunday to get a performance i i think that his decision would have sent a message to the dressing room but there are very fine margins in football and had that decision backfired I think there would have been a lot of players who went mm, boss you left out our our best player here what chance did we stand but because the result came as well I think that's a major win for Mikel Arteta in terms of his dressing room authority would you agree with that Costa that is because of the fact that everything went well in the end and turned out happy days it, it kind of was a big win for Mikel Arteta. I guess those are the kind of things where a player and his teammates can uh, take it either can take it either way can take it either the right way or the wrong way. Obviously the right way is to learn from that example and understand that you know 
he's in charge and uh, Pellegrini said it best than everyone, I am a democratic tyrant. I will hear you out, I will listen to what you have to say, but at the end of the day, we do what I say. It is what it is. Arsenal are one of the greatest clubs in the world. They need a manager who can uh, who can give his players the hammer. He set up the example, and as I said, Arteta proved who's boss. Personally, I respected him after this, and I'm sure a vast majority of the Arsenal players, if not all of them, I'm sure it's all of them, they respect him as well. I am very confident the issue with Aubameyang has been uh, taken care of right now. You heard Arteta, he sang his praises. So yeah. I don't think there's a big issue between them now. Yeah, I, hopefully the, the line has been drawn under it and it's uh, done and dusted. Uh, Dave Atkinson says, the greatest show, Harry and Fabregas. There he goes, <laughs> another one. <laughs> exclusive, world exclusive, guys Exactly, and girls. there you go. There you go. I'll let you read this one out, Costandino. So many Costadini, Mavropanos, Chimikas, Llanos. Thank you. The fact alone that I'm in this, that I made it to this list. My God, Panos, that was amazing. I'm Is glad it? I won you over, pal. Is in good company. There you go. And I'm going to put this one uh, to you, uh, Costandinos, because I've I've answered this question a few times in the past. Uh, so I don't want it to get boring. But how did you uh, get into to sports journalism? Because Charles is uh, aspiring to get there, and he's interested in in the kind of journey. So I'm not going to bang on about mine because I've I've said it a hundred times before. But how did you get into it, and how did you end up in particular coming to England to do it as well? Because that's a big move to make. Uh, well, I always loved football. Well, always. I started loving football in 1999 when I was nine years old. And obviously, when I was a kid, you know, I had those ridiculous aspirations of becoming a footballer myself. But I quickly <laughs> came. <laughs> yes. But I quickly came to the realization that uh, when I have a ball in my feet, I make Ali Dia look like Pele. So <laughs> I realized this is not going to happen. So I went for the next best thing when it comes to childhood dreams, and that was sports journalism. Uh, I've been wanting to do this for many years, so I guess I always had the passion. That's the thing that always um, that always fired me up, always helped me focus on it. But when it comes to the specifics, I went to Kingston University, got my degree there. And I'm not going to lie, guys, I struggled tremendously after university. I had like three or six interviews in one entire year, and most of them were not even sports journalism related. So I had to do a lot of a lot of internships, a lot of internships where I wasn't paid. But you know what? I went full on with it because of the fact that I wasn't paid. I had the chance to do whatever I wanted, really. I could interview anyone I want. I brought ideas to the editor all the time. I, I told myself, you know what? Chase all of your interests. Chase all of your dreams. Chase all of your passions. I got my NCTJ in sports journalism. And Charles, if you want to get into sports journalism, if you want to get into journalism, I cannot make... I cannot recommend the NCTJ enough. Get, go and get yourself an NCTJ. It's like a golden ticket. That's when it all started to turn. And I got a job at the Daily Star, uh, which, and, that, and, and the rest is history, really. I, um, I got to live a lot of childhood dreams, not only as a football journalist, but also as a WWE journalist. I covered WrestleMania. That's, so that's what I mean. Follow your interests, follow your dreams. Don't be afraid to risk. Don't be afraid to do internships and consider the NCTJ. Good stuff. Sound advice, Charles. Hope that helped. Um, and Gosta, thank you for sharing that as uh, as always. Right, we're going to leave it there because we've been going for nearly an hour. Uh, my thank you to Gostandinos once again. How can people uh, follow you on social media and keep up with your excellent work? 
Well, if anybody wants to uh, to keep up, you can find me at at Llanos Costas, which is the uh, Twitter handle right there at the at the bottom. And uh, yeah, I had a great time, man. Great, uh, great show as always. Uh, great interview and um, and amazing viewers as well. Incredible audience. Exactly. Great stuff. And thank you so much once again uh, for taking time out of your busy day. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for We're- the invitation. No problem. You're welcome anytime. You know that. And uh, we're going to be back a little bit later on today uh, with another podcast. And we'll be bringing you, of course, tomorrow, uh, my starting 11 around about midday, followed by our live watch along of the game uh, between Arsenal and Olympia. Because this is the benefit. Look, now that we can't go to games, we get to do watch along. So uh, that's the benefit. Uh, So we'll be doing that. And then we'll be bringing you the review show after the match as well. So lots and lots to come over the next 24 hours on the channel. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you've hit that like button if you haven't already. Join the membership if you fancy it. Give Gostas a follow on social media and we will be back very soon with more. Until then, ciao. Bye, guys. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.